Good morning, everyone. Our Bible reading this morning comes from 1 Peter 1, 13 through to chapter 2, verse 10. You can find it on page 1887. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Good morning. Uh, As Meredith said, I'm Matt. Uh, Thanks to Robin for the Bible reading. Uh, You might be confused, uh, wondering why our church has taken up a sponsorship with NAB, a bit of extra cash. Uh, No, that's not the case. Uh, I wanted to show us that video uh, because of that question. Did you notice the question that that video was asking, that that ad was asking? Uh, What do you want? And you notice how the kids, they could come up with uh, what they wanted straight away. 
uh, what was it, a bike with pedals, candy, uh, the cameraman's job. Uh, the adults, on the other hand, uh, they had to think about what they wanted a bit more. Of course, the ad's designed to make you think, isn't it? What is it that I want? Do I want a bigger house, uh, maybe a new car? Do I want to start a business, go on holiday? And the ad's, the ad's for a bank, right? So obviously what it's trying to get you to do is decide something that you want and then come to the bank and tell them what you want and then they'll give you a nice loan and then you'll get what you want and they'll get your interest payments and everyone will be happy. <laughs> what is it that you want? Last week we started off looking at the big book of First Peter. Uh, we saw that Peter is writing to Christians who are going through hard times, hard trials. Uh, in particular, he's writing to Christians who are experiencing verbal persecution. Uh, they're being insulted, being ostracized, uh, being spoken maliciously against. But we also saw that Peter is optimistic. He wants his readers to have hope as they go through those trials. Uh, someone sent in a question at the end of last week, and uh, it was a good question. And, and by the way, as Meredith said, uh, if you'd like to ask a question today, please do so. Uh, the number's behind me. Uh, last week, the question someone asked uh, was, how can we encourage each other to have hope when the Christian life is hard? How can we be optimistic as we go through trials? And today's passage, I think, Peter begins to answer that question. I think he says in our passage today that if Christians are to have hope amongst trials, we have to live differently. Our lives have to change. Our deepest desires have to change. The things we want have to become different. I think Peter is saying that if we want to live a life of hope, we have to live for different things. We have to uh, want different things than everybody else wants. I want us to notice particularly uh, from our passage today three things, uh, three things that change for a Christian. Uh, number one, Christians uh, have different goals. Uh, number two, Christians should have a different identity. And number three, Christians belong to a different tribe, a different people. Uh, so Christians have a, a different goal, a different identity, a different tribe, uh, and you'll find those points in your outline uh, if that's something that's helpful for you. Uh, so firstly, if Christians are to have hope as they go through trials, Peter says that we should have a different goal, a different goal. Uh, I think we see this starting in verse 13, and if uh, you've got your Bibles open, uh, take a look at verse 13 with me. Uh, Peter says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Uh, you notice Peter's first word there is therefore. Uh, when he says therefore, he's referring back to all the things we looked at last week. Uh, we have a great inheritance which is safe in heaven. We have the gospel. And Peter's saying therefore, because we have those things, therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus is revealed. Uh, when Peter's saying with minds that are alert and fully sober, he's encouraging his readers to take action. Uh, actually, literally, you could translate these words as gird the loins of your mind. Gird your loins. Not really an expression we use much these days, is it? Uh, but if you imagine back in Peter's day, 
uh, people would have, uh, particularly the men, they would have had long flowing robes, long flowing tunics. Uh, and to gird their loins was to gather their tunics up, wrap them up, fold them up so they're out of the way of your feet so that you could go traveling, uh, so that you could go uh, fighting. I've got a picture here. I think this is pretty funny. Uh, how to gird up your loins. Uh, the top's just cut off a little bit, but I wonder if this is sort of the thing you'd go looking up on ancient Pinterest pages. Uh, you can see the man, he's got a long flowing tunic, he picks up his robes, uh, wraps them up, I'm not sure if you can follow every step, but you can see down the bottom right, uh, he's already, he's off to go kill someone. Beautiful. Uh, you get the point right, he's ready for action. Peter is saying, be ready for action. But be ready for action with your mind. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you. Christians can't sit around with the same mindset as everyone else. Christians need to take action. We need to change our focus, change our goal, change the things that we want. We saw that out at the start, talking uh, about the different things that people might want. What is it that Christians should want? Here Peter tells his readers that they should not conform to the desires they had before they were Christian. He even calls those desires evil. He says we should have different desires, a different goal. And what is our different goal? Well, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Verse 15 and 16. The goal for Christians is to be holy. And you might notice that Peter uses a quote here in verse 16. He says, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. And I want us to actually go to the source of this quote because I think it actually helps us to understand exactly what uh, it means to be holy. Uh, The quote's from Leviticus, and I'm going to put the verse up on the screen, so there's no need to try and turn there in your Bibles. You can stay in 1 Peter. But have a look at this quote on the screen from Leviticus chapter 11, verses 44 to 45. Uh, It says, I'm the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves along the ground. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. Now, if you know a bit about the storyline of the Bible, you'll know that at this point, God has saved his people from Egypt. He's redeemed them from slavery. He's brought them through the Red Sea. He's going to bring them into the promised land. Uh, But notice here what God says about why he saved his people. Uh, God didn't save Israel from Egypt just because he thought they needed saving or because it was a nice thing to do. The reason that God brought his people out of Egypt was so that he could be their God. And he says, therefore, therefore, because I've brought you out of Egypt to be your God, therefore, be holy. Now, we often think of uh, holiness as sort of a moral thing, you know, holier than thou, Uh, doing good things. Uh, But really, at its core, being holy means having God as your God. It means being 100% dedicated to God. It means that your goal in life is about following the Lord. Of course, if you're following the Lord, that's going to have moral implications too, of course. But at its core, that's what it's about, being dedicated to the Lord. I've got an example for you that will um, maybe help explain what I'm talking about. I have a keep cup here. Uh, This is my keep cup. Um, This keep cup exists for the purposes of serving me and serving me only. I have exclusive use of this keep cup. This keep cup is holy. It's not holy to God, it's holy to me. 
It's 100% dedicated to my service. Now, hypothetically, say if uh, my wife Annika was to steal my cup, keep cup and use my keep cup, the holiness of the keep cup would be compromised. It would no longer be 100% dedicated to serving me. That's what holiness is about. Christians are to be holy, dedicated to God. Get rid of my keep cup. Okay, it's okay. It only exists to serve me anyway. Could you imagine if on that NAB commercial, thanks Chris, uh, you know that NAB commercial, they're asking people what they want in life. Imagine one person saying, I want to start a great business. Uh, One person may be saying, I want to build a new house. Imagine if they asked a Christian, and imagine if the Christian said um, something like, the thing I most want in life, the thing I most want in life is to be holy and dedicated to the Lord. That would stand out, right? That would be a little surprising for a NAB commercial. But Peter is saying, do not conform. I think Peter is actually saying that that's how things should be. Christians should be different. Christians should stand out. Now, being holy, of course, is easier said than done, and I wonder how you feel about the idea of being different. I wonder how you feel about the idea of your goal in life being centred around being holy, being centred around being dedicated to God. I don't know about you, actually, but I, in some ways I find these words very freeing. I've talked about how Christian desires should be different, that our goal is not the career, the house, the business, uh, but then... At the same time, I do own a house and I do have a job and I think working hard and career is important and businesses are great things to put money into. But I don't know about you, sometimes you could worry about those things, like uh, what if there's going to be a big financial crash one day? Maybe that'll make things really hard. What if it gets harder and harder to be a Christian in Australia? What if it gets hard for Christians to find work? Uh, What if one day people are allowed to fire people just because they're Christians? That's exactly the sort of thing that Peter's recipients were going through. But when I think about it, if my goal is to be holy, if my number one goal is to be dedicated to God, well, actually, some of those other things then become a lot less significant. They don't matter as much. I mean, even if you go to the worst-case scenario, all those bad things happening, uh, even if things do get really hard, my main goal of being dedicated to God would still be there. When things get hard, when trials come, if we want to keep having hope through our trials, we have to keep reminding each other what the main goal is. Our goal is to be holy. Uh, Well, we've seen that if we want to have hope amongst trials, Peter says we should start by remembering that we have a different goal to be holy. Uh, Secondly, he also says we have a different identity. Uh, Let's go to verse 17. Uh, Starting there, it says, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. We've already talked a little bit this morning about God redeeming his people from Egypt and actually that picture is very much here again. These words bring to mind the Passover uh, and you can find the story of the Passover in Exodus 12. 
at the Passover, God redeemed his people. They put the blood of the lamb and they, uh, a lamb without blemish or defect, they took the blood of the lamb and they put it on their doorposts and they put it on their door frames. And because the blood of the lamb was there, the angel of death passed over their houses. God's people were redeemed by the blood of the lamb. And here, Peter is saying that Jesus is now the lamb without blemish or defect. Just as God's people were redeemed from Egypt, now it is Christians that are a redeemed people. We are a free people saved by Christ's blood. And Peter continues on. Let's pick it up from verse 22. He says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. And then Peter quotes from Isaiah, if you've been uh, with us the last few weeks, we looked at this about uh, four weeks ago, I think, Isaiah 40. Uh, The quote is, All people are like grass, and their glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. The word of the Lord endures forever. God's words are reliable and will come to pass. If you were with us last week, we talked about a few things that were imperishable. Last week we saw that Christians have an imperishable inheritance. Uh, In verse 18 and 19 today, we've already seen that Christ's blood is imperishable. Now we see that God's word is imperishable. Here at Trinity Church Unley, we have a very high view of God's word, the Bible. So we preach carefully from the Bible. We go through books of the Bible. And we do that because we believe that the Bible is, as Peter says... We believe that the Bible endures. We believe that God's word endures forever. And some people today will say, uh, the Bible is nothing special. The Bible is just like any other book. The Bible will perish just like everything else will. Maybe the Bible is not even relevant anymore. I have to say, and I find that attitude sometimes even a little bit funny. I've been doing church history here at Bible College this year, and actually people thinking that the Bible is going to become irrelevant is not a new thought at all. I've got a couple of examples for you. Uh, around 300 AD, uh, the Roman emperor was Diocletian, and Diocletian made it officially illegal to have a Bible or to have Bible manuscripts. And anyone who was caught with a Bible in that time was going to be executed. And the Romans, they waged war on the Bible. They tracked down copies of the Bible, they burned them, they did everything they could to get rid of the Bible. In 303, Diocletian proclaimed victory. He said that Christianity was extinct. He said the Bible was now extinct. But then only a few years later, Constantine became the emperor. Constantine was supportive of Christianity. Constantine offered a reward for anyone who could bring him a Bible. And with 24 hours, within 24 hours, lots of people came forth. Hundreds of Bible manuscripts came out of hiding. The word of God had endured. As time went on, even the Roman Empire fell. Diocletian is long dead, but the Bible is more popular than ever. Another example, I like this one, I find this one funny. Uh, In the 1700s, there was a French philosopher called uh, Voltaire. Voltaire. Uh, Voltaire said that we don't need the Bible anymore. He said within 100 years, the Bible would become extinct because people would finally realise that it was no longer relevant. What's funny is that Voltaire died and then 50 years after his death, the Bible Society bought Voltaire's house in Geneva and started printing Bibles right out of Voltaire's own house. (laughs) 
Voltaire is long dead. The word of God endures. I've got a graph here to put up for you. I do enjoy my statistics. Uh, You might not be able to make it all out clearly. Uh, The graph shows the 10 books that have sold the most copies in the past 50 years. Uh, It's taken from Business Insider magazine. I do uh, want to put one caveat on it. I think uh, the people who put these stats together uh, couldn't find accurate stats on the Quran, and I think the Quran would have been in there somewhere, probably uh, in second place. Uh, But other than that, I think it's it's pretty accurate. So these are, the, these are the top 10 books that have sold the most in the past 50 years. So uh, let me take through some of them. You'll notice here in seventh place, this black bar, that's the Twilight Saga. Uh, it's a bit embarrassing. I do have to admit that I own a copy of that. Just thought I'd get that out there. Uh, the fourth most popular book, uh, that kind of teal one, that's the Lord of the Rings. Uh, the Lord of the Rings sold 103 million copies in the past 50 years. Uh, The Green in third place, that's the Harry Potter series, sold 400 million copies in the last 50 years. Uh, Second is maybe a bit of a surprising one, it's a book of quotations of Chairman Mao. Uh, It was very popular during China in the last 50 years. Uh, But guess what's on that black bar on the left, position number one. 3,900 million copies sold in the past 50 years. One for every two people on the earth. The Bible, the Word of God endures. What's even more amazing here, actually, though, that is Peter now takes it one step further. Because even as far back as Isaiah, Isaiah said that God's Word would endure. Peter's now saying that because Christians have been born again through the enduring Word, Christians are now born again of a seed that is imperishable. Uh, So Peter has said that Christians have an imperishable inheritance. He said that Jesus' blood is imperishable, that God's word is imperishable. And now Peter is saying that Christians themselves are imperishable. Christians have a life that never ends, eternal life, through God's enduring word. All people are like grass and all their glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But... Peter is saying that Christians don't belong to the grass that withers and falls anymore. Christians are born of a new seed, an imperishable seed. Christians now belong to the word of the Lord, which endures forever. Imagine how Peter's readers would have felt reading this. I remember they're going through trials, verbal persecution, insults, malicious talking. Peter is saying that all those people who are persecuting you they're all, they're all part of the grass. They're all going to wither. You're a redeemed people. You're born of imperishable seed. Through God's word, Christians do not need to fear death or persecution. We have a new identity. We're part of a redeemed people and born of an imperishable seed. And in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, Peter says that because we have this new identity, we need to turn away from things like deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Being born of an imperishable seed means that those things have no place in the church. Okay, we've seen that Peter wants Christians to have a different goal, to be dedicated to God. Uh, We've seen that uh, Peter wants to show Christians that they have a different identity. Lastly, I want us to notice that Peter says Christians now belong to a different tribe. Uh, Come with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Uh, Peter says there, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. I think this is a reference to Jesus. I think Peter's saying, as you come to Jesus, 
uh, because Jesus was like a stone rejected by humans. Uh, he was like that offcut that a builder might just throw away. Because we know that humans rejected Jesus. We know that humans put Jesus to death and spilled his blood. But we know that at the same time, Jesus was chosen by God and precious to him. So I think Peter is saying, as you come to Jesus, verse 5, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Jesus, the rejected stone, is now the cornerstone, the keystone that the rest of the building is built upon. Peter is saying to the Christians, to the church, that they are like stones. They are like stones that are built on Jesus, the cornerstone, and together the church is built up to be a spiritual house. Uh, This is very much a, a passage that talks not to us as individuals. It doesn't talk to Matt or Chris or Meredith. It's a passage that talks to the church, to all of us collectively. Because one stone on its own is kind of useless, but we together are like stones built on Jesus, and together we are a spiritual house. We're a place where the Holy Spirit lives. And look what Peter says in verse 9. He says to the church, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Peter is saying, as, as Christians, our primary identity is no longer found in being Australians or Adelaideans or Port Adelaide or Crows fans. Our primary identity is now found in the fact that we're part of the church. We are part of God's spiritual house. The church is a holy nation, God's special possession. And verse 10 says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. I I don't know if you realize this, but Uh, Those of us in this room, those of us who are part of Trinity Church only, those of us who are Christians, uh, the only reason that we are a people is because God has drawn us together. I mean, if it was not for God, the people in this room probably wouldn't know each other. I mean, some of us might still be friends, that'd be okay, but we wouldn't be united together in the way that we are. I want to say that if you're you're our guest today and if you're uh, with us but you're not a Christian, we hope you feel really welcome because one of the things we want to do is we want you to come and join us. We want you to come and be part of this new tribe. We want you to join us and become part of the people of God. And we've been chosen as God's people so that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. As Christians, we're part of a new people, a new tribe, and we come together to declare God's praises. Uh, I'm a bit of a footy fan. I, I know you probably realise this, that if you get one footy fan on their own, right, and you know maybe they're wearing a Guernsey or something, that's kind of like whatever. But as soon as you get like quite a few footy fans together, all wearing the same gear, suddenly there's chanting and cheering and banter. Footy fans, when they get together, they are praising their team. Christians, when we get together... We declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. The Christian life can be hard. We know that Peter's recipients were going through some hard persecution. If we want to hold on to hope through our trials, we need to hear Peter's words, hear Peter's encouragements. We need to remind each other that as Christians, we have a life that is totally different. The very core of who we are has changed. God has given us a new goal to dedicate ourselves to him. We now want different things. 
God has given us a new identity. We are his redeemed people. And through his word, we have eternal life. And we belong to a new tribe. We belong to the church. We exist to declare his praises. I'll pray and then we will praise our great God. Dear Father, we know that as Peter's recipients were going through hard times and trials 2,000 years ago, that in the same way lots of Christians today are also going through hard times. Uh, In those trials, we ask that you would help the church to turn to you, uh, to be holy and dedicate ourselves to you. As we go through hard things, help us to never lose sight of that new goal. And Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word endures, that your word does not perish. We thank you that through your word, we are born of a new seed, that we belong to an imperishable people, and that because of your word, we have a life that is never-ending. And we thank you that you have brought us together as the people of God to declare your praise. Amen. Um, the question is, uh, the question picks up very helpfully, I think, on a, on a tension that um, might have been raised for a lot of us as we're kind of looking at Peter's words and kind of his high bar that he's set in making holiness um, our goal. The question says, uh, externally our desires often look very similar to the world, uh, housing, career, sport. Uh, some of us do make sacrifices and desire to serve God, but these are often unseen. Uh, we don't like to promote ourselves. How can we encourage each other to live differently for Jesus uh, when what we see of each other looks like the world around us? Um, yeah, I think that, that picks up a really helpful tension. Um, I think one of the things that's very true is that uh, as Christians, the core of who we are is quite different. Um, we desire to be holy. But actually, when it comes to the surface, we still are called to have houses, invest in the community, have friendships, be normal, likeable people. Um, and that's all really great as well. So there is, I think, there's a tension there between our uh, very core can be quite different from those around us in some ways, but in lots of other ways, uh, we can look very similar to everyone else. Uh, I think that's, that's okay. I think one of the things we probably have to do is um, we probably have to... Uh, practice going deep with each other uh, and that might mean um, joining Bible studies, community groups, uh, that might mean being in a church like this one and actually talking about what those core desires uh, in our lives are, those core desires to please God and be holy. Uh, But at the same time, it's right to encourage each other as well, to be investing in community and lots of great things that this world has. Um, So I just want to acknowledge that that's a real tension there, I think, Um, But I do want to encourage us to not be afraid to kind of go deep with each other and talk about what is at our core. Um, I'll also say, I'm aware I said this last week and it probably felt like a bit like a cop-out and I'm going to say it again, but uh, next week uh, Peter talks about the idea of us being foreigners and uh, exiles in this world and it really then gets into the tension of what it means to be in this world but not of this world and how that tension kind of plays out, uh, which is a tricky thing and a really interesting thing and certainly the answer is, that we should invest in community, we should, uh, we should live lives here and get to know people and settle down and uh, have lots of great friends and invest in local community clubs and all that sort of stuff that was mentioned in the question. Um, but also I think the core of us, the core of our goal is still very much pleasing the Lord and being holy. So, uh, yeah, that's tricky, but I hope that's a little helpful. Thanks, Meredith.